The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor, Reverend Werner Ramirez, in the Sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here is Reverend Ramirez. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. My brothers and sisters, what I mean is that each of you say, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, for I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's no secret. Division exists. It's everywhere, from sports to theology, politics, and if you remember from a few years ago, we were divided whether a dress was blue or gold. <laughs> and when division exists, we like to pick our leaders of who we will follow. We see this in their church. We have people who say, I'm a conservative Christian and I follow the likes of Franklin Graham, or I'm a liberal Christian and I follow the likes of Nadia Vos Weber, or I'm a fun Christian and I follow Reverend Sarah Speed. <laughs> The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about division and about picking leaders to follow. And this passage is pretty straightforward in some parts. At the root of the passage, Paul simply says, we cannot be divided and say, I follow the likes of Graham or Bolse Weber. But as Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. Yet that is easier said than done because following Christ looks different for different people. And we argue and are divided about what following Christ looks like. For some, they might say, we need to pass out tracts and convert people. And other people say, no, we just need to do justice. And what we simply do is just argue and are divided. The year after I graduated from undergrad, I took some of my youth group students back to my alma mater at Azusa Pacific University. They were interested in possibly attending there, and some of them actually did. And you would think that my undergrad would give me some commission, but instead I have a lot of student loans instead. But that's neither here or there. But my undergrad was a Christian liberal arts university, and they required students to attend chapel three times a week. So when I took my students, I went on a chapel day, and I went on a day that a speaker named by the name of Shane Claiborne was going to speak. Shane is an activist, an author, and a dynamic speaker. The day he spoke happened to be Veterans Day. Now, you need to know that Shane is a pacifist. 
He's openly critical of war and is critical on how this country uses the military. And because of that, the week leading up to that chapel, there was a war of words around the campus. People from the school's ROTC program thought that chapel services were bringing him in on purpose to minimize Veterans Day. And then on the other side, you had people starting to voice their opinion, and the next thing you know, the whole campus was divided. Again, I had graduated the year before, but all my friends were telling me how hostile the school felt. And I saw the Facebook debates. People were clearly divided. So I attended chapel that day with my students, and some people were saying they were gonna boycott the chapel. But instead, the ROTC program showed up in full force in their uniforms, sat together right in the front. And the campus pastor comes, he introduces Shane, and we're all wondering, what is he gonna say? What is he gonna do? And then with the biggest grin on his face, the first thing he says, well, before I begin, I see that some of our ROTC brothers and sisters are here. And again, with a genuine smile, he says, I'm so glad that you are here. He continues, continues to tell all of us that he has heard about the animosity about him speaking. And again, with such charisma, he says, I hope we can be friends and disagree well. Something I've learned from both my liberal and conservative friends is that you can think you have all the right answers and still be mean. And if you're mean, no one really wants to listen to you anyway. And maybe one of the most powerful witnesses that we have is our ability to disagree well and have civil dialogue. There's not just left and right, but there's also nice and mean. And I want to be with people that are marked by grace and love and can disagree well. In just a few moments, he took out all of the tension that was in the room. It felt like we could all breathe. And then we just listened to a great sermon. And one of my friends who added to the tension on Facebook later posted a status that said, well, I needed a dose of humility. I apologize for being mean. Now, being united in Christ is way more than just being nice to each other. Because you can be nice and still be harmful. But what Shane did is point out how easily we tend to destroy each other and that we have the capacity to do much better. And here in the passage, we have this letter to a church that is completely divided. And it's not just down the middle, but into multiple sides. And Paul writes to them and says, I want you to be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. That word in the Greek, united, can also mean to restore or to prepare for proper condition. I want you to be united in the same mind and purpose. I want you to be restored to the same mind and purpose. And that's important to me because it implies that unity is more than just being nice. It implies that being united in Christ also brings healing and restoration. You see, people were claiming allegiances to church leaders instead of to Christ. Some people were saying, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos. And we don't completely know the theological brand of Apollos or Cephas. And scholars have tried to figure that out, but they've had more questions than answers. But it seems that these divisions, these quarrels, these fights, 
go more than just beyond theology. They were interpersonal. Similar to our political landscape today, the divisions are not just about policies. They're interpersonal. They're about people. These debates were literally dividing the church into different sections. So Paul rhetorically asked them, has Christ been divided among you? Like, has Christ literally been chopped up into little pieces so that each of you can have a different part? And he even understands that he himself is someone who has been chosen as people's leaders. But instead of pulling people into his corner, he wants them to focus on Jesus instead. Who crucified, who was, who was crucified for you, he says. Whose name were you baptized under? He asked them this because he wants them to be united and restored in Christ. Paul says they're simply, he's simply there to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That proclamation he hopes will unite them. And the rest of this letter to Corinth, specifically the next three chapters, are about how they are to have integrity as a community united in Christ. Now, here at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, with its many people in the tri-state area and all over the world because of live stream, we are a mosh pit of different kind of backgrounds. We have some people who lean right, some people who lean left. We have some die-hard Presbyterians. We have some people from Roman Catholic backgrounds. And we have some people who are entering the church community for the first time. So what is it that unites us? What is it that makes us a community? Sociologists have different ways of trying to define what community is. Is it the size of the people, the type of organization, or the level of intimacy? And all those play a role. Yet one thing that many of them say about community is that community is about what we share in common and what kind of relationship do we have with each other. In short, a definition could be defined by these questions. What do we share in common and how do we share it? What do we share in common and how do we share it? For instance, when I was 15, I was in a community of friends and strangers that were part of the punk music scene. We shared a common theme of the music. We loved the music. And how did we share this? We would share this by going to concerts together and singing along with each other. We would be in that mosh pit. And if one of us fell down, there were three people trying to pick you back up. It was a fun community. Community can be absolutely wonderful. Yet community can also have negative consequences if what the community has is hateful and how they share it is destructive. Again, think of the Nazis and what they had in common and how they shared it. It was hateful and deadly. But what if what you have in common is relatively good or just kind of fine? but how you share it is destructive. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, there were these pockets of gangs in Southern California that came out of the suburbs, believe it or not. They were called straight edge gangs. The straight edge community were a community of late teenagers, early 20 people who had the common belief of abstaining from alcohol and drugs a fairly good thing to have in common for some teenagers and people in their early 20s. But how they shared it 
was by going to parties, by going to certain ragers, and tearing up the house and beating people up. A very confusing community. Community can be harmful if what is shared is hateful and how it's shared is destructive. So going back to the passage, Paul is telling this community, remember what you have in common. What you have in common is not me. What you have in common is not Apollos or Cephas. But what you have in common is the grace of God given through Jesus. So let's think about the Christian church in America right now. Are we saying too much, I belong to Cephas or I belong to Apollos? Or align ourselves with politics and saying, I belong to Trump or I belong to Biden? What do we share? And how are we sharing it? Friends, for us in the Christian faith, what we have in common is that we are all people created in the image of God. And that image has been affirmed, restored, and redeemed by the way Jesus lived, died, and resurrected. That's what we share. That's what we have in common. And how we share it is by bearing witness to that good news. We bear witness that we are all made in the image of God. That's what unites us, that restores us, that is what heals us. And bearing witness, what we have in common is not always easy, but it's certainly good. Bearing witness to the redemptive work of Jesus can sometimes mean being with someone in their darkest hour and being a light. Bearing witness is standing up for justice when policies and people tell the marginalized that they are not made in the image of God. We call out the lies and we say the truth that you are. You are deeply loved and made in the image of God. What unites us, what heals us, what restores us is Christ's love and grace. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says that love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. Because love unites and heals. Love recognizes that an enemy is made in the image of God. And love is what can help an enemy see the image of God in you. Now, I've shared about Homeboy Industries in my sermons before, but as a refresher, Homeboy Industries is a holistic rehabilitation center in Los Angeles that helps people out of gang life by giving them jobs, tattoo removal, therapy, and social work, and so much more. The founder, Father Greg Boyle, or Father G, as the homies call him, is an amazing, inspiring person. But one of the most interesting things he does is he puts people to work with their rival gang members. Father Greg tells the story of this kid named Youngster. Youngster is 13, and he rides his bike around the barrio showing his gun all the time to make sure that everyone knows that he was in charge. And he would go in and out of juvenile hall, and Father Greg would visit him. And every time Youngster would say, I'm not going to Homeboy Industries. But something changed for him when he turned 18. He wanted a change in his life. So Father Greg takes him in and he says, you're going to work at the silk screening factory, but you're going to work with rival gang members. And on his first day, Father Greg lines up every rival gang member in a row 
and he says to the youngster, go down and greet your new coworkers. And youngster's ready for a change. So he goes down and he looks every one of them in the eye and he shakes their hand and he greets them, except for the last person. The last person was somebody with the name of Puppet, but they didn't look each other in the eye. Father Greg said they could only look down at their shoes. This wasn't just a rival gang member. There was something interpersonal about their beef. And Father Greg says, if you all can't work together, there's other people that want this job. And he said, we can work together, but we just won't talk to each other. And so they begin to work, days, weeks, and months. But something about Homeboy Industries and their philosophy is that when you work for a homeboy, you are showered with reminders of your human dignity. You are reminded that you're a child of God. You're reminded that you are loved. And eventually, they start to believe that for themselves and for their enemy. As Father Greg continues the story, he said that a few months later, Puppet on his way home took a wrong corner and was met by some other gang members. And he was jumped, sent to the hospital, and essentially pronounced brain dead. The news gets the youngster, and he calls Father Greg right away. And he says, that's messed up what happened to Puppet. Is there anything I can do? Can I give him my blood? Father Greg says there was silence mixed with sniffles. And then Youngster breaks the silence and says, he wasn't my enemy. He was my friend. Friends, what unites us, what restores us, what heals us is grace and love. When we see the image of God in ourselves and in those around us, that is what unites us in Christ. And if we let it, it will make us our best selves. Friends, Henry Nouwen writes, in the world so torn apart by rivalry, anger, and hatred, we have the privileged vocation to be living signs of love that can bridge all divisions and heal all wounds. May you know that you are loved, that you are enough, and that's true for your neighbor as well. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.